The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. I was hoping that together we could have a conversation. Uh, I'll say a little bit. Of course, I you know I can talk the whole time we have, but it would be nice to reflect together about path. And one of the paths that doesn't work is having some kind of arrogant certainty that there's nothing to do with our life. There's no path. And, and path can cut both ways. You know, when we think there's a path, then we can use it to beat ourselves up. Like there is a way for me to be living. There are choices that I should be making values that I should be cultivating, but I'm not, I'm bad, and I hate myself because I'm bad, then you should hate myself because I'm bad. Or I'm following the right path and you're not, so you're bad, and I'm better than you. But somehow uh, the what might be considered the opposite of that is sort of giving up on path makes us very susceptible for just getting by, you know, filling our lives with activities that we know aren't really going to make a difference in the end, but keeps us distracted, doesn't seem terribly destructive to be watching this or doing that. What else are we going to do with our human life, right? We don't, we can't, at times, because of doubt, because of, you know, all kinds of reasons, we can't comprehend what to do with this life, this human life, how to direct the heart and mind, what values to cultivate. So we're kind of susceptible to marketers that tell us, you need an eco-vacation, or you need, you know, the next thing, whatever it is, because we're looking for a meaning, and we find it in relationship, and we find it in travel, and we find it in all kinds of ways, but it always ends up leaving us hungry because whatever thing we think is going to do it, give us meaning or lead to salvation, it's temporary at best. And uh, I've been talking a little bit about this, and I'll continue over the next couple months talking about path. And the Buddha had a lot to say about it. And I think uh, Gabe Keller Flores, our office manager and one of our teachers here, he put these two books as uh, Moon Palace Books, a wonderful independent bookstore, just, uh, I don't know, five blocks away on Minnehaha. So there's Bhikkhu Bodhi's book. He's a, an American monk who did a lot of translation of the early Buddhist teachings. And then this is just a small book where he basically draws on what the Buddha said about path. The Noble Eightfold Path is what it's called. And then another book, uh, this is by a Sri Lankan monk who spent maybe 40 plus years here in the States. Um, He's quite old now, Bhante Gunaratana. He started a center in West Virginia but has uh, been a chaplain at American University in Washington, D.C. before he moved out to West Virginia. And this is The Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness. It's a book about the Buddha's Eightfold Path. 
So we'll be looking at it in all the intricacies, but it's good at the beginning of the conversation and reflection about path just to be honest with ourselves and maybe out loud for the group about like maybe not consciously, but in hindsight, like, well, what kind of path have I been following? What sort of values or understanding has been driving this life? Right? Because, you know, there's acquisition is a very common value, like getting something. And then when you, if you're lucky enough to get the thing you want, then you find something else you really want to get or something else you really want to do. And you kind of line those things up, and that gives us meaning. I did this. In my 20s, I did this. In my 30s, I did that. You know, and then I did that. And that memory, that idea, those ideas stand in for meaning. They give, seemingly, they give my life some meaning. You know, and we kind of use them to compete. Well, what meaning do you have, Devin? You know, well, I've got this meaning. You know, whose meaning is better? Because that's the interesting thing about that kind of life meaning is it's sort of um, susceptible to somebody else seemingly having better meaning for their life. Oh, you did that? You raised kids? I didn't do that. Okay. About I have cats, but that doesn't sound as good. So the um, the last couple of weeks when I started talking about path, I, I mentioned that we often start like waking up to path with this um, grounding, like we bring awareness to something. And one of the first things we bring awareness to is cause and effect. And an an insight comes online eventually, human being that's mindful enough, and that insight is something like, it matters. So this is a basic insight that thinking that it doesn't matter has a negative impact. Like, that matters, thinking that it doesn't matter. Like that general idea about life, that it doesn't matter what I do. Whatever I can get away with is fine, right? I'm born and then I die, and it really doesn't matter. Kind of a nihilistic view, right? It's not that uncommon. And one of the things when we pay attention is we start to realize, in fact, it does matter. I see directly when I'm paying attention, when I'm sensitive to my life, and then even generally to other people living their lives, I see how that mind relating to their life showing up in the way that it's showing up, or me relating to my life, choices, what's happening, how I'm showing up, that it sets stuff in motion. And that stuff that is set in motion comes either with more or less stress, depending on how I relate, how I'm showing up, with what kind of understanding, because it matters. So this is like a nice way to understand the beginning of a spiritual path. There's no real spiritual path unless there's some intuition, some wisdom 
real, like active, alive in our heart that understands, yeah, it matters. When we're relating to our cat, when we're relating to our partner, when we're driving in traffic, everything matters. Because every, like the past shows up as the way it is right now. So how I'm relating right now, the values that I'm relating through, let's say, that's setting the future in motion. What kind of heart, mind, future am I setting in motion right now given that I'm relating like this, I'm showing up like this, I'm living out of this attitude of mind right now? What groove is getting cut? What groove is getting more deeply cut in my mind? What habit is getting entrenched in my life, in my heart, given how I'm relating, how I'm showing up, how I'm thinking right now. Karma, right? That's the Buddhist teaching on karma. Karma simply means intentional action or action, actions of thought, actions of speech, action of deed, like actually doing something with our body. When we do things with intention, then that leaves an impression and then we are the person with that impre- impression. You know, the mind stream, the heart stream, has that impression going forward. Having done that, having thought that way, having acted that way, having spoken that way, then that's the mind stream in the next moment. It matters. And you see the birth of our spiritual practice, it matters, and so then we want to understand how it matters. Like start to connect the dots. Oh, when I'm relating in a really stingy way, then what kind of world do I get born into? If I've been stingy with my friends and stingy at work and stingy at home, fearful, hoarding, even in my love relationships, stingy. I'm putting out more than you're putting out. I'm there for you in ways you're not there for me. And that's just the mindset. You'll see, like, it's not so easy to catch in ourselves, but we'll see it in friends a lot, like the kind of worlds they create for themselves that they then have to inhabit. It just didn't happen accidentally or randomly. Those worlds, inner, the inner landscape, Get set emotion. Now, I'm not saying that external conditions don't matter, but external conditions aren't something we can do anything about a lot of the time. But we can start to take responsibility for how we're participating. And that's what is really interesting. So, this initial piece of it matters is called a correction in view. It's the first limb of the Eightfold Path. We go from it doesn't matter to it matters. And, and remember that it matters is a step towards humility. Like I'm not sure how it matters yet. I just know that it matters. And so now we're more attentive. And what are we initially attentive to? Like how I'm showing up. And what we call in Buddhism, this is called intention the kinds of intentions or motivations that are there, which of those motivations seem, as best I can tell, 
set in motion things that are wholesome, set in motion the release and ease of my heart and the release and ease of people around me. What intentions seem to be helpful? What intentions seem to be unhelpful? The causes for stress for me and others, right? So we start to, like, and then, you know, we hear things like in kindergarten, be nice, share. And so we check it out. Like, is that like just, would idiots get duped with that value to share? No, I'm not going to. But we actually check it out like, okay, I'm approaching life with a dog-eat-dog world. Use whatever power I have to get what I want. Don't worry about stepping on toes. Okay, what does that set in motion? Who do I become with that attitude? Am I happy with who I'm becoming with that attitude? How about if I try the other attitude for a while? Be more generous, more content, more willing to let go. Who do I become then? So it's very pragmatic, this sort of feeling out. Like, because we know it matters, that means the particular quality of my mind matters. And we start to read, comprehend, cause and effect. And over time, being a good student of my mind, our minds, we start to have like, okay, these are the unwholesome. Like when I'm living with these values under the influence of these tendencies, these attitudes of mine, things get worse. And when my mind is under the influence of these other values or attitudes, things lighten up. And then we have, like if we're fortunate, we're you know, we hear from the Buddha, well, this is what I found out, so we can check it out. And he spells it out like, when you're acting with uh, generosity and letting go, renunciation, contentment, basically non-greed, skillful. Kindness, goodwill, friendliness, skillful. Non-harming, valuing, not causing harm for oneself or others. Compassion. Good. And then the three unwholesome roots, just the opposite. Greediness, stinginess, not going to help. Ill will, hate, aversion, fear, not going to help. All these things are understandable, but they just don't help. And then the opposite of compassion, sort of a willingness to cause harm, cruelty, aggression, violence, not helpful. So you don't want to believe that, but it's sort of a prompt. Well, I might as well check out if the Buddha knew what he was talking about, right? Kind of aligns with basic human common sense. You know, even though, but we, you know, we always feel like this, this kind of uh, moral stuff is put upon us. You're supposed to be good. But the Buddha was very clear. This is the direct way to feeling better, to having more happiness. Living out of wholesome intentions and refraining from living out of unwholesome intentions. Check it out. You know, the most well-known phrase through the many volumes, recorded volumes of the Buddhist teachings was, Ehipasiko, check it out. You know, here's what I found to be true in my own mind, heart, life. Check it out. See if this is helpful for you. It's really that encouragement to see, like, 
what a value can you find in these teachings? Because it doesn't help to believe it. There's a, both in the early tradition and the later tradition, and this is paraphrased by Joseph Goldstein and some of our early Western teachers, their teacher in India, Manindraji, this Indian man who first learned to practice in Burma. He was a civil servant in Burma uh, back in the day. <coughs> and he connected with a very famous Burmese Buddhist monk, Mahasi Sayadaw, and then moved back to India and to Bodh Gaya, which is a pilgrimage site in India where the Buddha awoke under the Bodhi tree, evidently. And uh, people like Joseph Goldstein and many other Westerners went there in the 60s and 70s and connected with this teacher in Indiji, including Kamala Master, somebody I teach a lot with, and one of my early teachers as well. But um, so Manindaji would say, well, the Buddha's done his work. Now you have to do your work. And uh, in uh, <clears throat> another place in the tradition, the Mahayana tradition, said the Buddhas cannot wash away our sins with water. They cannot remove our suffering with their hands. They cannot transfer their insights to us. All they can do is teach the Dharma teach about the way it is, teach what they learned from studying their own heart and mind. I am my own protector. Right? We have to walk the path ourselves. And so we, if we're fortunate, we have this intuition. I think it matters. So I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to initially pay attention to intention, sensing what's skillful and unskillful, and then I'm going to take it on the road. I'm going to use what I learn. It won't be perfect at initially, right? It's going to be vague about skillful intentions, unskillful intentions. And I'm going to observe my actions. I'm going to observe my speech. I'm going to observe how I earn a living, how I sort of use power in my different circles. In light of those, in light of what I'm learning about wholesome and unwholesome intention. And I'm going to confirm it this is like a central teaching in Dharma and Buddhism about like what really matters is how it looks on the road. Uh, it's not some lofty philosophical thing. It's meant to be applied in the ordinary experience of being in relationship, being in community. So if non-greed, generosity, contentment, the capacity to let go actually leads to happiness and release. So let me check it out, raising kids. Let me check it out, running an organization. Let me check it out, doing this or doing that in my life. What might contented and le contentedness look like here? Or kindness look like here? Or compassion look like here? Oh, this looks more like ill will. Well, I can't stop myself from hating right now. It's got too much momentum. But I can confirm with observation that it leads to hell. You know, that things are getting tight for me. Seems like I'm making everybody around me tight. Oh, yeah. So we don't waste those moments when we're acting out unskillfully. We use it to confirm 
what's this deepening understanding about what's skillful and unskillful. This is not a small thing. This changes everything. And a lot of us have, obviously, a superficial sense, a book sense of what's skillful and unskillful. You know, we could probably pass a multiple choice test about, you know, a bunch of different qualities of mind and you just have to put them in two camps, skillful or unskillful. I bet we'd all get 95% on a test like that. But the question is, do we really think happiness is that accessible? Because you know how it is. Like, I'll do a lot for a piece of chocolate. So if we really felt happiness could be gotten, real release of the heart. I mean, it's interesting, too, when we sit. I don't know if you noticed tonight, especially us long-time meditators, the kind of effort we can make. It's so commonplace to just go through the motions because there's some underlying belief that we're not really highlighting that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm, yeah, I'm sitting, but it doesn't really matter. It's not going to really make a big difference. Oh, I'm just hanging out with my partner, my spouse. doesn't really matter. I can kind of shoot off my mouth without really thinking that the attitude and the actual words or actions, it matters. I'm actually cultivating happiness or unhappiness right now. See, then it's like, you know, how it would be if we were like making money and, you know, every time we turn the crank, a quarter comes out. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I get this. And we'd really like lean into that. Oh, yeah, this works. I mean, that's, and that's pretty gross because, I mean, dense in the sense that having a lot of quarters really, I mean, it can help having money, of course. But there's a lot of evidence that people with money aren't necessarily happier, right? But how about real happy, unblemished happiness, unblemished, full, unshakable release of the heart? I mean, we would really be committed if it were somehow straightforward like that. And that's really the beginning of the path, is realizing it matters. And then the second part of wisdom, right? First step is this shift in understanding from some cynical, nihilistic sense. Doesn't matter. Even postponement is a version of that. Like, I'll get around to spiritual life when I'm a little older, you know, and then <clears throat> it will matter. <laughs> but right now, I'm young, I got stuff to do, or whatever. So there's any number of expressions of it doesn't matter. It won't be some blunt, you know, life doesn't matter. It's not like your mind is going to say that because, you know, that's not socially acceptable. Well, you really have to look at your actions, like how you fill up your day. How much news we read. Do I really need to read that news? You know, or really need to do that thing? So what is that saying? I mean, I, I put myself in this place. I, I ask this question a lot. Like, And especially when, you know, I do other activities and I feel the benefit. So then we go about, like once we open our mind to that it does matter, then we want to understand, okay, Maybe it does matter. 
So let me see if I can look at my life with mindful awareness so I learn what leads in the direction of release and what leads in the direction of stress so I can act on this underlying premise, understanding that it matters. And then we look at the gross part of life, the next three parts of the path, action, speech, livelihood. And then we look at a more subtle part of life, which is we look at our mind, the kind of effort we're making, the quality of present moment awareness, the quality of settledness, samadhi or concentration, in terms of what's skillful and unskillful. So basically, the next two big sections of the path is, now that we know it matters, now that we're beginning to sense what's skillful and unskillful, let's look at the gross part of my life, gross in the sense of external, like how I'm relating to other people, for example, in terms of what I'm sensing is skillful and what I'm sensing is unskillful. It's kind of like our university or our, our education, the training working ground is these relationships. And then the more subtle is, okay, if things are always either relatively skillful, very skillful, relatively unskillful, very unskillful, that's also true in the inner world of my heart and mind, like how I'm relating to my mind, not just how I'm relating to you or how I'm relating to earning a living, but also how I'm relating to the activity of the mind itself, the mood, the emotions, the content, just this ecosystem of my heart and mind. How am I relating? So that's the next section of the path. Wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise coming together of the mind, concentration of the mind. So when we, and then over time, we do learn about how to be more skillful, how to avoid being unskillful in terms of our external lives, in terms of our internal life. And then because of that greater skill, everything's more settled. And then the mind's insight that it matters is just stronger. Oh yeah, it really matters. There's more faith energy like I'm really going to be present because it matters. And so then it gets real clear. There's one enemy. Any guess? What the one enemy we have in life and in spiritual practice? Distractedness. Right? The one thing we count on is paying attention, you know, in this balanced, kind way. Because Part of that insight that it matters is this sense, initially it's vague, over time becomes a very powerful confidence. Mindful awareness is balanced, stable, clear, broad, and subtle awareness, present moment awareness. It can basically unpack anything that needs to be unpacked. But it's not like me trying to penetrate into the truth of what's the way it is. It's this very patient presence. And life gives up all of its secrets. And the secrets always have to do with how to be skillful and how to refrain from 
being unskillful. And that's the whole path. It just goes from gross ways we're unskillful and gross ways we can be more skillful to more and more subtle ways that we would otherwise be unskillful, but now we refrain in ways we can be skillful and we orient toward that. So even like the deepest teachings, those of you who've been around know about like the Buddhist teachings on anatta, the impersonal nature. This is the content of our Monday night Buddhist studies course that a bunch of folks in the community are taking that I'm teaching. And it's, you know, it's considered one of the most subtle teachings that the Buddha gave. But even that understanding or that uh, realization of everything being unpersonal is a natural arising with a mind that's interested in what's skillful and unskillful. Living with that, not taking anything personally, naturally arises because it's skillful to live that way. Not so much that it's right or it's the absolute truth. It's more that it works. So this, like once we realize it matters, we have a purpose be aware. Because if I'm aware, how it matters will get revealed if the mind is patient enough and if we invest in the kind of sensitivity that then reveals what's skillful and unskillful. And like I said uh, 10 minutes ago, it doesn't actually matter if we're unskillful because we'll learn, oh yeah, that's unskillful. Because we're paying attention, because we're sensitive, even when we're acting in unskillful ways, we'll clarify, oh yeah, that doesn't help me or anyone when I'm greedy, when I'm angry and hateful and cause harm. It doesn't help. It's totally, you know, in moments, of course, it's totally understandable that somebody might be angry or greedy or act out in a way that causes harm. But we don't want to pretend what that sets in motion, we want to actually see what that sets in motion. Oh, yeah. And that's what determines whether something is skillful or unskillful. Only we ourselves will know only when the awareness is clear and balanced and sustained. So someone might say to us, oh, you're being really unskillful, and that may or may not align with our understanding. And let's say it doesn't. Like, oh, no, I think I was skillful. Or they say you're skillful, and you say, no, I don't think I was skillful. But even then, we want to have a little humility because we're still reading. Like even if I said something that felt a little off, I'm going to continue to feel into it, right? Because it's just the next moment. And it may be that the initial like was just habit. And the more I thought and felt and saw what got set in motion in my own heart and around me, may realize that, yeah, actually, couldn't have been otherwise. That was the best way to handle that situation. And in that way, you know, we're responsible. It helps to have good Dharma friends. It helps to have communities like Common Ground. But ultimately, we have to walk the path ourselves. Now, I'll kind of go into all the different pieces that I've outlined tonight, but I want to save the last uh, 20 minutes or so, and as I've been saying the last six months, to really, uh, it's an expectation that folks stay to the end, we'll end right at nine o'clock, I try to end right on time, 
but sometimes people want to leave during the discussions. And uh, I really ask that people not leave, just as a way of respecting the community and the different voices. And the truth is we learn so much from people's questions and from people sharing what they've been learning in their practice. So we use this directional mic. We're not recording tonight, are we? Anybody turn it on? Oh, you did turn it on. We are recording tonight. Point the mic like this. Feel free to say your name. Any questions and any reflections about your own path over the years, how that navigating the path, what's been learned, how you might articulate it differently than maybe the Buddha does. Yeah, please start us off. Hi, I'm Anders. So I work in the mental health field, and um, the place where I work specifically is kind of a high-stress environment. So um, I'll get yelled at a lot, and um, I'm usually able to be really present with, with people and, and not take things personally, um, and that usually is really helpful for both of us. But recently, one of my coworkers started like kind of getting more in my face, and I almost like I kind of took it personally. Um, and I noticed that there was a lot of anger that was coming at me. Like, I was still able to kind of remain sort of present and kind of impersonal, but I, I felt like almost being impersonal in that situation was letting that person walk over me. So I'm kind of curious what, like, a skillful way is to relate to, like, a healthy amount of anger and where you're defending your own, you know, um, self-worth. Yeah, because love can also be fierce. It's not just anger that's fierce, but love and compassion, self-love, self-compassion can also be fierce. That's why we have to be attentive and interested and have that thread of humility so we'd, we don't come to a conclusion. I can't tell if this is anger or love, you know, that protecting love like you suggest. Anders, I can't tell. I'm going to be aware. And you know, the truth is a lot of times these, what we're feeling, like we never want to say, it's never really right to say I shouldn't be feeling that. It's always more like, I am feeling this. This is interesting. I wonder if this is skillful or unskillful. And often it's a little mixed. Like there might be some love but there might be also that more unskillful intention. I just want this person to hurt. and uh, Or I just want to have power over that other person. Because that's a different motivation than wanting to take care of oneself. Wanting that person to learn their lesson. Like we're, the, we're sort of the vehicle of karma. That person did something bad. Somebody's got to punish them. I guess it's me. Because <laughs> God knows we can't let that bad action go, you know, unpunished. They need to notice that it was wrong. So I, I think the key thing is not to presume it's obvious, but we'll, we'll see, okay, this is playing out of my heart. And sometimes it really is. We really see the destructive quality of some emotion. And then we, we should, because we care about this life and others, we should do whatever we can to refrain from acting it out. Right? Just like a parent who gets pushed over the edge with their little kid. You know, and this happens. I mean, I, I mentioned I don't have kids, but I know I have friends who have had young kids. 
Paul maybe can attest to this, but, you know, we get burnt out. We get fired. I've been a classroom teacher with young children and have lost it to some degree in ways that didn't feel right, you know, just getting angry and raising my voice, things like that. I, I said something once really inappropriate to like a, a young girl, I think maybe a second grader. And I, you know, these are, I was working with kids who had serious trauma in their lives. And I was really dealing with a boy who was really abusing this young girl who's had a lot of abuse in her life. And as I was dealing with him, I was oblivious that she was hearing what I was saying to him. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm cutting myself some slack here. <laughs> but still, what I said was very inappropriate. You know, it was probably activating for that girl. And it was because I was angry, you know, and I wasn't my mind. Because the anger is so seductive, the Buddha calls anger murderously sweet. And it is, it's seductive, it's like a drug. Because anger has a target, you know, you're wrong, you're bad. And it, life is so ambiguous, but when we're angry, it's suddenly it's not ambiguous, you know, that self-righteousness. And it feels so good from an egoic point of view. It feels like, finally, I've got solid ground. You're wrong, that's my ground, that's my earth, I feel alive. I feel like I have power, right? And of course, it's short-lived, but it's, it's like a drug, and we do stupid things then when, when we're under that influence. And that can kind of help us sense when there's anger because of that enlivening flavor of it. Yeah, thanks for giving us that example, Anders. Anything else you wanted to say about that? Who would like to go next? Yeah, please. Hi, I'm Rachel. Um, as you were talking about paths and what our path is, I started to reflect on one of the challenges that I've really faced in my life, and that's trying to understand where my future is going to be and how I'm going to make that future happen for myself. And part of that is growing up with very ambitious parents and being a student in you know, grad school and how am I going to perfect my future now? And um, I find that I act the most unskillful when I'm obsessing over either my future and how I'm going to get to that future or my past and what the things that have hurt me in the past or the things that I'm ashamed of or that I've done. And one thing I'm working on and I'm finding through my practice is being at peace with the past that I've had even if I wasn't at the time thinking skillfully and then letting that peace drive peace for what my future will be from any given moment and I find that to be hard to do in a <laughs> world where you know goals and success and pressure and you need to I you need to have a family and you need to go make money and you need to you know live this awesome life and be a good person and I'm wondering 
at, in what part of being skillful and mindful and present can having those somewhat far off goals fit in and um, how we might be aware of be aware and okay of where we are now and where we might end up um, and while still striving for you know goals in the future yeah because being awake or being a kind wise human being that's as radical a goal as you know being the head of microsoft or saving the world or you know solving racial injustice or you know they're all a little outlandish but we're gonna we need aspiration it's just a question of what we do with that the energy of aspiration or inspiration or greed or desire, right? It's what, what do we do with that? And the, the thing that, like, as we, as, and you described it, I thought, pretty well from what you've been learning, just observing your mind there, being relatively young and being in grad school, which is so much about futuring, you know, just the energy <clears throat> in academic settings is, it really seems that way from my perspective. But is really grounding it in here and now. Because we get a lot of energy when we think about becoming a wiser, kinder human being or contributing in a meaningful way in the world or raising really beautiful, wise children. You know, whatever kind of thing um, inspires our heart, whatever it might be. We get a lot of energy. We need that energy. Now, wisdom needs to do something with that energy, and that something that wisdom needs to do has to be here and now. Because if we stay with the idea of awakening or the idea of being a kind and wise human being or contributing in one way or another, we're disconnected because that idea is an abstraction in our mind. And the question is, how to relate to my life right now, how to do the next thing, in a way that contributes just one little step. Because like maybe to be that person that's inspiring for me, I need to be fearless. Or maybe the way to grow fearlessness is to do that thing on my to-do list that I don't want to do. Or to make amends to the person I don't want to make amends to. You know, or to get some exercise. Or to cook a good meal to clean the bathroom. And it's not just like cultivating fearlessness, but maybe generosity. Like I could buy that, but I'm practicing contentment with what I have instead of discontentment with what I have. So we can, in any moment of our life, really any moment, even the worst moment or the best moment, there are, uh, we can shape a future that's worth living into. And that's really the result of that deepening insight that it matters. The sort of corollary to that insight that it matters is it's kind of an empowerment that there's something to do right now. Because whether I'm aware of it or not, I'm planting seeds right now. So I wonder what kind of seeds I'm planting. How can I, in a simple and direct way, 
plant a seed that will be the cause for beings being happy and free versus something not so good. Even in grad school. So like so that like how you do grad school, the values you the way you relate to the work and the way you relate to your colleagues, that might be setting in motion a more uh, powerful future than the work you do, but more the attitude. Valuing freedom, you know, valuing kindness towards yourself. I remember, this was an undergrad, but I remember we had to write, everyone had to write a thesis where I went to college and and so there I was last semester, you know, spring of my senior year. Back then we didn't have computers and, uh, you know, typing and then you take that little thing and, oh, it's so frustrating. And then, and I think it was like two nights without any sleep, finishing it up and and I just made like a resolve, and it really has stuck. It was a powerful resolve. I am never going to do anything that is this destructive to my mind and body again. I was like, I'm, it was just stupid. Like, you know, and there, I didn't, you know, it, I'm glad I finished it. <laughs> but, but just that sort of what the system can drive us to do you know, the compromises that we make with our friends, with our own mental health, our physical health, with our disconnection from what is uh, maybe more meaningful ultimately. Because we're afraid, right? We're afraid of not becoming who we want to become or we'll miss our train and there won't be another one. Good luck. Yeah, Tim, and then we'll go back here, back to Tim. Good evening. My name's Tim. I think the path, the the main thread of the path for me has always been the power of the mind, and and I guess becoming more skillful with it. And what really inspires me is the um like using if we have an unskillful mental pattern it's really just a skillful pattern that's waiting to be trained so like if someone's really think about it like if if someone's really judgmental has a judgmental tendency it's like that just indicates a lot of wisdom or a lot of intelligence that hasn't been oriented towards the dharma yet so I find studying Buddhism, it orients, it's the same stuff happening in the mind, it's just more realistic and therefore creates more um, happiness rather than just like, because if you're you're judgmental, as we use use that word, usually it it feels like you're kind of just banging your head against a wall. (laughs) But uh, more skillful use of the mind, it always like, feels like freedom so i guess that's it and i've heard similar like i've heard uh, aversion training aversion leads to wisdom discriminative wisdom training greed leads to great faith and training delusion 
leads to equanimity. Yeah. So I I found that uh, that's the path to me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Tim. We're going to pass it back here next. <laughs> Behind you up there. Um, I think mine is actually really similar to yours. I'm just many years ahead of you. Um, so what if you're trying to do all of the right things and not things that like people tell you are right, but things that you believe to be right, like making vegan meals for your family and then trying to get a three-year-old to eat said meal. Um, (laughs) and, um, and then you just, and you know, do things like what you mentioned at the end of when you were talking to her, like cleaning the bathroom and getting some exercise and in doing all of those things, trying to do those things, you cause yourself so much stress that you then end up maybe ordering a Papa John's pizza at nine o'clock at night and watching, rewatching the Witcher because you already watched it once and it wasn't enough. Like what, what then? (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's just contemplate that because anybody not been in that situation? Anybody not been in that situation in the last two days? <laughs> yeah, I mean, our version of that same situation, probably most of us have been there recently, right? And so, so like what I said, and then to think about what that would look like for you, is the, the interesting question is, that there we are, kind of ricocheted from trying hard to be good, to no, you can't make me be good, you know, that sort of rebellious um, acting out. And then, uh, then we realize that we've gone to the, down the road to hell. You know, we've been bad. Got the pizza on the side, <laughs> the red, the extended red lips, and it isn't lipstick, <laughs> from the tomato sauce and the bloated belly, you know, and the bleary eyes from however many episodes we've watched. You know, and the dread of having to get up early to do what we got to do in the next day or whatever. So then the, the only relevant question from the way that we've been talking about the path is to realize it matters. Right now, this moment matters. And like you said, the, I think it was Rachel who said, like the past, realizing to some degree it's gone, right? So I don't have to dwell on that Papa John's pizza. It's gone, right? But this is here now. This is the moment where a positive, healthy, wholesome seed can be planted or a destructive, unhealthy seed can be planted. So that's, so the mind cares, okay? Because, like, for example, one thing to do right then and there is to forgive ourselves. Yeah, sometimes it's like this. Despite my intentions, things transpire that sets in motion, bloated stomach, greasy lips, you know, bleary eyes, and it's like this. Yeah, I care about that, right? Because that's a really powerful, like not to be confused and not to take it personally. We're taking responsibility the bloated stomach is what it is. The greasy lips, everything is what it is. But I don't need this overlay of being a bad person. I just need to get back on track. And start, given that it's like this, how to plant some wholesome seeds right now. 
let's brush my teeth, you know, Pepto-Bismol, tuck myself into bed, forgive myself, remind myself what, what I can do to touch joy that doesn't come with a cost, as, as much of this cost, right? Maybe there's other ways when I need, when I'm feel, feeling a little fried by trying too hard, so how can I bring some joy in, some relative satisfaction, so that I don't always go to that one particular move that has consequences? This is the art of living, right? And, and your example is so powerful because that's the tendency is to ricochet from trying to control the beast that we think we are, and that never works, and it always leads to the ricochet until you can't make me, you can't tell me, and we act out, whatever that is. For some people, they just are in control 99% of the time, and boy, when they lose it, watch out. <laughs> and uh, some of us are you know, trying to control and losing it all the time. So it's different. We're not, don't look the same. But wise, you know, wise awareness will eventually reveal, I'm tired of the roller coaster or ricocheting back and forth. What's the other way? And the other way is to realize it matters. And because it matters, I'm going to sustain present moment awareness because it matters. And I'm not a sustaining present moment awareness because I'm trying to be good. I'm sustaining it because I care, because I want to be happy. You know, and if sustained present moment awareness leads me to ordering Papa John, go for it. But I'm going to sustain present moment awareness to see if I was right, if it actually works. I'll probably go home tonight and have popcorn, right? But I'm going to, like I've gotten better over the years, like how much popcorn I make, you know? Because you know how it is, it's like, oh, it's really hard, I, I need a lot. Well, no, you, you need enough that there's some ordinary, temporary pleasantness that lasts for a while, right? But doesn't leave, you know, bloat or whatever <laughs> we get from eating too much popcorn. You know, so we can't avoid, and we shouldn't, we don't need to avoid the ordinary pleasures that are around. We just want to use them in a way that actually helps us navigate our lives instead of causes this, because that sort of addictive cycle is uh, really disheartening. Because then we start to mistrust ourselves. Like, don't I know better? But to know better, we have to have that persistent reliance on awareness. When we make a mistake, we don't jettison awareness. No, no, just let me see. If this is really unskillful, I want to know. I don't, wanna, it, I don't want the idea that it's unskillful to be theoretical. I want to see the pain that comes when I live with this attitude. Because that leaves a powerful impression. Oh yeah, Papa John did not lead to happiness. I mean, if we see that enough times, we'll, we'll do something else. You know, we'll order a slice <laughs> or something. Thanks for sharing. And it's 9 o'clock, so we need to leave it here. Just take a few seconds, just enough time for one or two breaths together.
and appreciating the community and all the folks before us. They had complicated, busy lives, raising kids, doing this, doing that. But somehow enough folks over the years, they did their practice, realized deeper wisdom and kindness, shared it. And these wisdom teachings got passed down. And now they land here in this corner. Minneapolis, it's our turn hearing them. Put them into motion in our lives, make them real in our own mind and heart so that we can model and live into this kind of wisdom and compassion, be a cause for more wisdom and compassion in the world. So may this be so. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.